We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. We are talking about another disappointing Nets loss tonight to the San Antonio Spurs, 98-106. How are we doing? No KD, no Kyrie, lots of worries. Yeah, lots of worries. Terrible three-point shooting, terrible defense. Uh, a lot of bad, bad marks for this game. We're going to jump into that and plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, where do you want to start? 13% from 321 turnovers. Podcast over. I mean, it was pretty horrendous. Uh, I think the only thing worse than those numbers is probably the starters in this game. You know, that was Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton, and that's the start the first quarter, and that's the start the third quarter. Those two runs and stints in this game pretty much were one of the biggest reasons why that's just from a, a numbers perspective. There's plenty of other reasons on the court, but the way that those they played in those minutes to start the first and third quarter were terrible. 15 points in the first quarter, 17 points in the third. You had 36 in the second and 30 in the fourth. So put that math together. Like you outscored yourself in two quarters combined in the second and nearly in the fourth. Like it was just putrid, putrid play. And some of it was lineup combination. Some of it was shot making. Some of it was inattention on defense. Some of it was just, it was just a, a lot of crappy, crappy basketball you know, bad shot selection, bad defense, bad scouting, bad rotations. There was one and a half good players tonight. And despite having one and a half good players, shooting three of 23 from three, having 21 turnovers, the Nets only lost to the San Antonio Spurs by eight points. If this was any other team, they would have lost by 88 points. Yeah. It was really that bad. I think, like you said, Jack, uh, the urgency, the energy, the enthusiasm from this team was just terrible. Like, Guys just played with no level of confidence and everything was a drag. Everything was a drag. It's just like there was nothing easy about tonight's game. You know, there were some easy moments where you know, Claxon Ben had a little bit of synergy. TJ Warren was hitting some shots here and there, but and, and Evan Sumner had, you know, provided a little bit of a spark off the bench also. But it was just like surely the Nets should be better than this. And now the upcoming four game schedule is does not look good either. It's just the night and day from where we were just before the Kevin Durant injury where, you know, the Nets are still 27 and 15, you know, 
maybe they scrape a couple of wins together, but not getting that win against OKC, which you recapped wonderfully, and not getting this win against San Antonio, despite not having Kyrie Irving, it leaves the Nets, you know, with their heads just maybe slightly above water as there's a real jumble in the East, you know, the Sixers, the Bucks, you know, the Cavs, all, all in the heat, all, all these sort of teams are, are on the come up and the Nets look to be trending downwards. And with the way they played tonight, look, I, I don't know where they stand and how many games they're going to win out of their next four, maybe one, two, three, if they're lucky, but it's uh, not good signs. And the Nets need KD and O'Kyrie and or a trade very quickly. Yeah, I mean, tonight was the game that should have been a lock. You know, this should have been the win. You know, San Antonio is not trying to win games. They're one of the worst teams in the league, you know, the worst defense in the league. And offensively, the Nets just had so many issues generating good shots to start and just like lacked rhythm and consistency. And obviously, guys just shooting really poorly from three. You know, you have Cam 0 of 4 from three, including an air ball. Seth Curry 1 of 7 on a lot of good looks. Markeith Morris 0 of 2, not that surprising. TJ Warren 0 of 2. Royce O'Neal 1 of 4. Joe Harris 0 of 3. You know, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal. They're guys that you're paying to hit threes, and they all shot terribly from there. And the Nets had one made three until, what, late or early in the fourth quarter of this game. Yeah, they were one of 13, I think it was, and, and they finished or, or something like that. I think it was something around them. I called one of 17. I can't three remember. Three made threes in a game in 2023 is atrocious. We've seen the Nets knock down three threes in under a minute. So for yeah. them, we've seen Kyrie do that himself at the end of the half against the Cavs. So for this Nets team to have that big of an issue generating offense against a team like this is pretty bad. I think a lot of it is on the players, but also Jock Vaughn did not do a good job of making life easy for his players, especially when he went back to that starting lineup to start the third quarter. It's like you saw that this didn't work and this combination of players was terrible. Why would you not, you know, incorporate TJ Warren or Cam Thomas or somebody into that starting third quarter lineup? Yeah, Edmund Sumner, maybe even yeah. to, a, to a lesser extent as well. But you know, it, it just sort of makes you think, Nick. Imagine if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were traded, and this is probably what we'd be watching for large portions of the year. And it sort of just makes you <laughs> appreciate, look, Kyrie Irving hasn't been great in Kevin Durant's absence either. The two games that he's played, he was certainly subpar. But at the same time, you have Kyrie Irving tonight, then it's win this game. It's yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a given because Kyrie Irving can win this game by himself. And you know, this is what a Ben Simmons sort of led team or into a, probably to a, a more accurate extent, a Nick, Nick Claxton led team would look tonight. But if Nick Claxton didn't, maybe if Nick Claxton didn't get in foul trouble either, Nick, then that's maybe win this game. But I, I want to, rather than going to you know, who was the best player tonight, who was the worst player tonight for the Brooklyn Nets? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think... Um... And Joe Harris? Short. Yeah, Joe Harris or Patty Mills. Uh, Joe Harris probably because he played a larger load and he just didn't do anything, you know, except miss threes. There really just wasn't much to him out there. He did have two steals, but it just felt like he had close to zero impact on the game. And I think a lot of that's on him. But also, what's the point of playing him these minutes with this group of guys if you're never going to really run plays for him? You know, it just is kind of pointless to have him out there if there's no type of push to get him the ball like obviously he does one thing really well and there was probably stretches in this game where he just didn't even touch the ball 
Yeah, 17 minutes, 0-3 from the field. The two steals you alluded to, the one turnover, minus 13. There was basically everyone was in the minus tonight, unless you're Markeith, Morris, and Cam Thomas. Uh, but in, in saying that, and, and Ben Simmons, but in saying that, you, you make a, a pretty salient point about Jairus looks good when there are better players around him, similar to sort of like a Utah Watsonape, but also when plays are run for him. Now, I'm not saying, look, I, I was pretty ruthless in some of the tweets that I had about Joe Harris uh, in tonight's game, but handoff, dribble handoff sort of stuff with him just doesn't work. He's not Seth yep. Curry. That's just not his style of game. So Ben running that sort of shit with him, it's just, it shows a low IQ and understanding of his teammates. That stuff works with Seth to an extent, and Seth was still pretty poor tonight despite some of those actions. But it's about Jacques Vaughn understanding how to unlock his players and how to play the right combinations, how to run you know a few set plays. Because, look, when you're looking on paper, Joe Harris should be your second, third, maybe at a, 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 a stretch, your fourth best offensive player. And you should run some plays for him. The, the net should be a bit more creative you're going outside the box, especially when you don't have Kyrie Irving. But it, it's almost like they had a bit of a pig-headed mentality just, just expecting things to happen for them and not going out there and being you know, a bit more proactive. It's sort of like the, the things we alluded to under Steve Nash, being reactive rather than proactive. But look, I, I think some of it, a lot of it is on Joe himself not performing and not hitting. Because a, a, a lot of those shots that he hit were relatively open. So it, it's someone, someone on him as well. He really He's also making really weird cuts and going into crowded spaces rather than fine openings. Maybe that's just like lack of understanding of his teammates in the offense. But as you alluded to, Jack, not having better teammates that just give him the catch and shoot opportunities where he really succeeds. Yeah, because Ben Ben Simmons was driving a, a little bit more tonight, but he wasn't driving and kicking. Like, then that's something that Kyrie Irving doesn't do a lot of either. But it's at least when you have a four-five out system, which the Nets don't have in the absence of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, it just means that Joe Harris is going to be crowded more. There's less space for him to make straight line drives and and cuts here and there. But look, Joe Harris and Patty Mills, Nick, as we alluded to, those are probably two of the guys that are in. Not to sort of be, you know, somewhat skeptical or whatever they're in the pockets of Sean Marks and they have this sort of unwarranted love from Sean Marks in the front office and maybe even ownership but both of those guys should be on the trade market it's as simple as that despite what we've heard from reports about Patty Mills you know being the apple eye of the eye and not being traded because of his relationship with Ben Simmons and Joe Harris because of you know obviously he's the last remaining guy since Sean Marks entered into uh, heading and taking over the Brooklyn Nets as GM but both of those guys if you get something of value or, or at least of, uh, of equal value you put those guys in a trade package, you pack their bags, you send them out the door because both of them, despite Jeremy in a decent game the other day against the Celtics, they're just not doing what we need them to do. And and Paddy Mills is getting paid above what a vet minimum guy, he's he's on doing what a vet minimum guy is doing. Markeith Morris did more than what he did tonight. Joe, and, and these are guys that I've been stands of. You know, I loved, I've loved Joe Harris, what he's done for as a Brooklyn Net for large portions of his career. And Paddy Mills is the apple of my eye in terms of an athlete that has represented Australia on a global scale when it comes to the NBA and beyond. But I'm a Nets fan, and I'm going to try to remain a sense of objectivity about how these guys are going and how everyone else is going around them. It's not just them, but tonight, those two were glaringly awful. Yeah, and I think, obviously, Joe is paid, you know, $18 million a year you're going to expect him to do more and you're going to expect him to have more of an impact. I think defensively 
he's been poor after having a pretty strong start to the season and showcasing some good just effort on the end of the floor. And those two guys not performing, obviously Patty to a lesser extent because he played six minutes, but somebody else who is counted on for this team and saw 22 minutes was Royce O'Neal, who was just really bad. You know, he finished with five points. He was two of eight from the floor. He came in the fourth quarter. Jacques Vaughn put him on Keldon Johnson. Johnson had a minimum of probably eight points on him, and he just did really absolutely nothing this game and had close to no impact. It was part of that poor starting group. It's like the they, they just didn't read the scanning report. Keldon Johnson goes right as often as Zion Williamson goes left. And every single time, they just allowed him to do it, except for maybe like one or two possessions where Ben's like, oh, yeah, he this guy can't really go left. He's, you know, Zoolander. He can't turn left. But well, in, that's in, hilarious too, though, Jack. It's like, why put Royce O'Neal on him when you have Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons on the floor? What's the point of having these two players on the floor if you're not going to utilize them to defend the other team's best player and obviously player who's hot right now? I think that Nick Claxton was used somewhat correctly as sort of like a Roma help defender, which is when he is allowed to be, you know, weaponized as a, a help defender. He's blocking his instincts there. But I agree, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, guarding Jakob Pertl. Like, what's Jakob Pertl going to do? He he'll might play make a little bit through the elbow, but just throw Royce on him. Royce is, is decent at guarding some of those bigs. So I just think that, again, you know, poor, poor execution, poor man management, poor... Poor, poor, poor Nets. Poor Nets. Yeah, and honestly, I get that's, you know, letting Clax kind of hang back. But after everyone's just kind of getting cooked and Clax isn't able to stop Johnson on, you know, some of those rotations, I think you just have to go like, hey, I need to stop this guy because no one else really on the Spurs was playing well. You know, guys were just missing shots all over the place. So I thought Vaughn tonight was really strange with not only his rotations, but some of the assignments he chose for his players and really didn't put them in a position to succeed in this game. And this isn't us being Jacques Vaughn haters because no, both the players of us, suck tonight too. <laughs> the players certainly suck tonight as well. But in terms of the credit we have both given Jacques Vaughn, I'm just going to try and provide a, a sense of balance. For those that might not have listened to the episode episodes before or have just joined us, thank you. Nick and I have both been big Jacques Vaughn lovers and, 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 and surprisingly so. I've w more than happily eaten my words about how he's performed as a Brooklyn Nets head coach. And again, it's tougher when you don't have Katie and Kyrie out there to sort of find combinations that do work. I think this one was much more on the players than it was on Jacques Vaughn. I still think they could have got this game out despite with you know Jacques Vaughn's game plan, lack thereof, uh, the offensive lack of creativity, all those different things in the rotations but we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It was just, I think, a, a lot of it as well, Nick. We should probably just start the Ben Simmons conversation. I don't know how that conversation goes, but it, it takes away my stat of Ben Simmons shooting the ball nine times or more and being 5-0. and oh, The net's now 5-1, and one. Uh, so I'll have to update my stat uh, when we get a, a, a chance. 34 minutes, 4 of 10 from the field. Two of two from the free throw line. Get the sirens going, Nick. We need to get some weird sound effects for when Ben Simmons hit free throws. I uh, did have 10 boards, 11 assists, four steals, two blocks, seven turnovers to go with his 10 points. How was the Ben Simmons experience for you tonight, my friend? First triple-double as a net. Did not. Oh, come on. Don't, we're not doing this. <laughs> did, didn't mean a single thing. Uh, I think, you know, the, the best thing you could probably say is the rebounding was really good. You know, that was something that stuck out. I think the assists were kind of hot and cold because the seven turnovers. And there were just some really terrible passes. And I think you still, as much as he was, quote-unquote, aggressive and was four of ten, there's other moments in this game where he's pulling the ball up too early in transition or semi-transition. He's trying to force passes to guys, and he's putting you know his teammates in bad positions sometimes, and he's not rolling to the rim. So it's just like it continues to be the Ben Simmons up and down experience. You know, it's great to see him kind of be aggressive and showcase some things and some willingness to play maybe a little bit more towards the rim. And you know, you like the fact he tried to throw down a dunk, but at the end of the day. He's supposed to be an all-star player, and he's not anything close to that. You know, he's playing at, you know, maybe a starter level some nights, and other nights he looks like a bench player. Yeah, And that can even be from quarter to quarter. Exactly. You alluded to Joe Harris and, you know, Ben Simmons getting paid. And look, sometimes having the salary conversation can be a little bit of a slippery slope, but I think it is worthwhile given the construction of this team. You know, you're Kevin Durant, you're Kyrie Irving, and both of those guys are the, the top of the totem pole. You expect three to five in the totem pole to be guys around that sort of 20 to $30 million range and those guys to be performing at a level where, you know, okay, these guys are going to be at least somewhat reliable for me. I... I think this the discussion about this Ben Simmons game, we could you know, analyze every single little play offensively or defensively because he had some wonderful defensive plays also. But some of those defensive plays he created off some of his own poor offensive play yeah. uh, as well. So he had to sort of like make up for it. I thought that he was the best at guarding Keldon Johnson tonight. I thought... You know, in the absence of, I thought Nick Clarkson and Ben Simmons in the the second half had some nice little synergy. Uh, of both of those two guys together, it was nice to see him get to the free throw line. That spin move on Jakob Pertl uh, was something uh, as well. But there was also times tonight where he was getting like the, the switch, and you know he had trade, he had the mismatch on like Trey Jones or Doug McDermott or whoever it was, and he and he kicks it out to to Cam Thomas or, or whoever else it might be. It's just like, my God, this is what you what most players like dream of. Kevin Rain gets to switch on a guy that's like six foot one. He's cooking him. Ben yep. Simmons, cook those guys. Like you should be able to do that. Now I'm not sure whether it is that his ex girlfriend Maya Jam is now hosting Love Island and she's doing her thing and he's up in his fields or whatever. No, it, that's a discussion that should motivate him. <laughs> that should definitely motivate him. But <sighs> I think also it's like four of ten and it's great he shot ten attempts, but he also just missed six layups. 
You know, let's not, it wasn't, you know, they were not super easy shots, but they're shots you expect him to kind of make go seven of 10 or something. I think it's just going to be a roller coaster. And at this point, it's going to be super hard to trade him and get anything of fair value or close to what he was. And uh, it's like, you're just going to have to roll out and hope that he can continue to get better during the stretch. This was a night you hope that he'd do more. And also, I think the foul trouble is frustrating. It seems like every single game, Ben is in some type of foul trouble. And against a team like the Spurs, there's really not a reason to be in foul trouble. You know, it's not like these guys are really like these elite guys that you're going to have to ride the entire game and super skilled. You're not out there trying to defend a Kyrie Irving or, you know, a foul baiter and like Trey Young. It's just like, come on, Ben. Yeah, and the, and the same can be said for Nick Claxton and Seth Curry. Nick Claxton fouled out, had six fouls. Seth Curry had four. Nick Claxton's three fouls came early, and that's why, you know, when he came back, he was really forceful and to still get a double-double. Um, and I thought he was probably the Nets' best player alongside TJ Warren tonight, so we can maybe get to some of the positive. But, yeah, the Ben Simmons discourse, we can do episodes upon episodes on episodes about him, and maybe we'll have to start a, a Patreon, you know, the, the Ben Simmons discussion, the BS report. Uh, <laughs> but I, we'll, I think, and I'll say this about Ben as a final remark. There, there was a trend in improvement of this game, but it's yeah. still not good enough to what the Nets need him to be, especially with KD being out. This is okay, but there's still plenty of flaws in the game he played tonight. Yeah, I think like in saying you can say like that there have been improvements, but you can also have higher standards for yep. a guy when you have your two best players out that you've traded James Harden for that's getting paid this amount of money. And yes, you're playing one of the worst teams in the league. Playing one of the worst teams in the league. Yes, he's coming off some back soreness and he's coming off back surgery, all these different things. But when you're out there, we expect you to perform at at least near an all-star level. And he showed glimpses of that tonight. But we don't pay, you know, Ben Simmons for glimpses. You are supposed to be an all-star player. And it's like his his range between his best and his worst is just polar. Like it's just like his best can be defensive player of the year, all NBA caliber. And we've mentioned both of those things in episodes surrounding Ben Simmons this year. But we've also mentioned him taking three shots and having 13 assists, you know, a couple of games ago. Yep. So the the discourse and discussion around Ben Simmons can be had for days and days on end, but we should probably end it before uh, before we get... Uh, I mean, it's going to continue the rest of the season until he plays at a consistent level or plays well or it's traded if that were to happen. But like you said, Jack, I guess get the Claxton, who probably was the best net tonight, 15 points, 7-11 from the field, 1-1 from the free throw line. 11 rebounds, three offensive, four assists, one steal, four blocks, three turnovers. And as you mentioned, did foul out. Was a minus 19, but I think that's more of his pairing with the starters in the first and third quarter. Yeah, definitely. I think it was a situational. Like you, the, the yep. plus minus sort of thing. You know, Ben Simmons was what plus ten in that game against the the Boston Celtics. Everyone was losing their mind. Like Ben Simmons <laughs> is the best player. Like okay, let's let's lose. And again, Ben Simmons was plus five tonight. So look, you, and Mark if Morris was plus fifteen in thirteen minutes. You take things with a grain of salt and look at the eye test and look at how the stats back it up. But Nick Claxton, in terms of his offense, he has improved markedly. Ninth straight game with three blocks or more. I think that makes him the second youngest or one of the youngest players ever since Rudy Gobert, who was 22, 22 years old. I think it's the longest streak since uh, another Nets player. I can't remember who it was. It was on the Yes broadcast, but it's like 11 straight games for, for one of their players. Uh, I apologize for not remembering and taking those notes. But defensively, once he was able to get 
I think he played like nine or so minutes in that third quarter. And while the Nets did struggle offensively, it wasn't because of Nick Claxton. You know, Nick is still doing a lot of things. He's sort of looking to get the ball in his hands. His free throws are looking a, a, a much better. His form's looking good. And I like the fact that he made that free throw despite being interrupted by the little substitution by the San Antonio Spurs. And he, the words that he said, you know, post-game and, and and to press to media and press conferences and stuff, he, he likes, he wants the ball in his hands. His mentality is there, you know. He wants to be a defensive player of the year. And with the way that he's continuing to play, that block on Keldon Johnson <laughs> on the dunk yeah. attempt, that's one of the blocks of the year, man. Like, Keldon Johnson is a hell of an athlete, and Nick Claxton is just, just like, putting... It's Matumbo-like with that sort of block. It was, like, it was an insane, insane, insane block. And he can only do so much. If the foul trouble wasn't there, you'd be seeing, you know, mid-30s uh, minutes for him. And that's on him to be a little bit better with with his uh, defensive, I, I guess... You know, uh, being better in terms of being more composed and, and not giving away, you know, dinky little fouls here and there. But a lot can be said for Ben Simmons in that respect too. But the growth from the consistency that we're asking from Ben Simmons, we're getting from Nick Claxton. Yeah, Nick has been one of the most consistent players on the Nets this season. I mean, all of his blocks were highlights. Like there was just he like sprouted up and just like came out of nowhere for a couple of them. So credit him for playing really well. And to be honest, he's being held back for the lineups that he's getting put out there with. You know, obviously Ben Simmons and him just are having a hard time coexisting without KD being there. You know, I think uh, you know people put out clips of the first play of the third quarter. Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons rolled to the same spot on the floor. Like nothing is going to happen. It's just you're making life more difficult for each other, and that's a problem. You know. Whatever you want to say with Ben, maybe he's a top five player, the third or fourth best player in this team with Katie and Kyrie out. You need to play him, but playing him without with Claxton, it's really hard for the offense to be successful given the players you're playing are already limited. Yeah, and you don't have the overwhelming offense of a Katie, of a Kyrie. Yeah. You have Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, and Seth Curry. Like, Bruce O'Neill was awful. Joe Harris, we've had a discussion about. Seth Curry was really bad, too. So you, you, you can't make up for it. That Like, maybe you have to have TJ Cam if you're going to play those guys sort of together and just be a bit more funky and a bit more, you know, stagger those lines and be more, a bit more creative. But, yeah. Well, Nick maybe Claxton, you just have to commit to one guy for a larger minute load for that day for that game, because it's just really hard. I think for both of them to be successful, regardless of the lineups they put out with this group of players without Katie and Kyrie. Yeah. I think we saw Ben Simmons work with, you know, a heap of shooters. So maybe yeah. you play Clax, you know, a little bit in the first, and then you stagger it where Ben can be with Seth, Joe Royce and TJ or, you know, Utah or one of those sort of guys. Cause I don't think Cam Thomas's three ball is anything to write home about uh, these days. He can only create it for himself. He can't hit a catch and shoot to, to save his life. But in saying that, look, Nick Claxton continues to be an incredibly uh, positive player for the Brooklyn Nets and his consistency and durability. You know, there were times, you know, in, in seasons past where we're like, can Clax be out there for, for long enough periods? And if he is, you know, he's going to be a force. I think that's a, a credit to him, you know, a credit to his conditioning and a credit to just, you know, what he, the work that he's done in the offseason because he's been consistent as hell. He's been strong as hell in so many different ways. Yeah, and he's just been awesome, and hopefully, you know, he continues to play at this level and stays healthy for the rest of the season, and he has a real shot at Defensive Player of the Year and some different things, but I guess they played two backup centers, Markeith Morris and Dayron Sharp, going to Dayron Sharp, played four minutes and 35 seconds, finished with one point, four rebounds, one assist, one block. 
wasn't very impactful. You know, you can continue to see the limitations and lack of polish of his game, but he played four minutes, so not really much to it. Yeah, and I mean, the Markeith Morris, the the thing that we'll probably remember is the 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 Jeremy Sohan sort of kerfuffle, which was just weird, ended up in you know flagrant, and, and look, the Nets got an extra possession out of it. I think Mark Abe is there for beyond the court stuff. And I think you can still chip in here and there and plus 15 and 30 minutes because the Nets were going on runs in that second quarter. Uh, and he happened to be out there with those lineups. But, you know, it's still rebounding the ball. Well, I think Mark Abe Morris can be a, a pinch hitter here and there and a, a better rotation player than Daron Sharper at this point of both of their respective careers. But yeah, neither of them had much to write home about. I thought TJ um, would get to TJ. We'll get to TJ very soon. Yeah, I thought Markeith, the two post fadeaways he shot, um, or, you know, midway through the shot clock were ugly, didn't really need to happen. I think other than that, he was solid out there. Maybe that play helped give the Nets some extra juice for their run, and maybe they need more of that sometimes. But at the end of the day, it was just okay minutes. TJ Warren, Nick, 24 minutes, 7 of 13 from the field, 5 of 6 from the free throw line, 0 2 from 3, had 5 boards as well to go with the 19 points, was plus 1, that was probably a bit more reflective and of an, an accurate assessment of the, the plus minus statistic, which can be a bit hit and miss, but how did you feel about TJ, and we were chatting a little bit in, in the DMs about, you know, his, you know, we talked about conditioning when it came to Nick Claxton and how he sort of found his footing, and obviously TJ Warren finding his footing after being out for a very extended period is going to be a work in progress. What did you see about that as well as his game tonight? Yeah, that's a nice segue because we were literally talking about his footing. Um, TJ Warren seems to not want to plant on his feet after he jumps or has any type of awkward play. You kind of continue to see him on the floor. You know, obviously he's coming off of, you know, a broken foot, a foot injury that kept him out for a long time. So just something to kind of keep an eye with him. I thought he was really good in the first half. And, you know, it felt like he was probably going to score like 25, maybe have a chance to even get 30 in this game. But the Nets just go to stretches where they don't get him the ball. You know, he just isn't very involved and they don't choose to ISO him or do anything along those lines. And given the play of the rest of the team tonight, I just don't understand why you don't feature TJ Warren a little bit more in this game. I know you're trying to keep his minutes down, but even when he's out there, you know, let the guy get 20 shots. You know, Seth Curry got 16. He was six of 16. You have TJ Warren at seven of 13 and getting to the free throw line six times and you can't find him more offensive possessions. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe it's more so to do with his conditioning behind the scenes, but at the same time, it's like if he's out there, you know, let him let him go to work. Yeah, I think it's easy for him to do that in secondary actions because, you know, when you have Kyrie next to you, and it's a little bit easier to expend yourself when you're doing it for four, five, six seconds rather than eight seconds or more where he has the, a greater offensive burden. So I see it from both sides. But the fact that the Nets have such a, a greater need, a greater responsibility for TJ Warren shows where they do struggle and shows you know some of the glaring weaknesses in their offense. And maybe that's going to be on, okay, you know, Jacques Vaughn and his coaching team being a little bit creative. Okay, what are the seven or eight minutes per quarter here that we can really get a lot out of TJ? Because I don't think he can play for like long stretches. He's not going to be KD or he's playing yep. full quarters at a time. And, and look, 
I want him to play 35 plus minutes and I want him to probably start given the way that he's doing offensively. Maybe that's something you do. You sub out Joe Harris, you sub out Royce and you sub out Seth, one of those guys uh, and you put Tejo on with the starters. Reward him for playing so goddamn well because you know we know these players love to have the, the note of starter ne- next to their sort of name. But the way that TJ Warren has been playing, you know, consistency and consistent offense, he'll miss a few uh, shots here and there and, and some of that is just because of tiredness uh, and such. But I like what he's doing and and maybe he does deserve the start yeah i think even running some of the similar actions run for kevin durant to get him the ball at the elbow that seems to be where he's the most successful and i think defensively he's okay you know asking him to go on the other team's best offensive player sometimes doesn't really make sense especially as you mentioned he's not used to exerting that amount of energy so we'll see how the nets manage it it just felt like really there wasn't much of a game plan offensively. It's like they came into this game thinking the Spurs were so poor defensively, they were going to be able to just run smoothly and get easy shots all game, and that just wasn't the case. I think we should touch on Edmund Sumner and Cam Thomas as well, Nick. Edmund Sumner, 4-6 from the field, 4-4 from the free throw line. Did hit his three ball, had four boards as well to go with an assist for 13 points. Cam Thomas getting some extended run in 30 minutes tonight, 6-12 from the field, 0-4 from three, 3-4 from the free throw line. Did have two rebounds, had an assist, had a seal, had a block as well, was plus 12 on the night for his 15 points. Both of those guys provided sparks for the Nets that I think showed that they should maybe be in the rotation a little bit more when the Nets are looking for a bit more offense. Edmund Sumner, I like the way that he attacks. I like the way you know, he had a nice little mid-range game uh, th- today as well on one or two shots. And Cam Thomas, I thought looked a bit more fluid as an offensive player. You know, I love it when he's driving and creating and and getting contact because he can get to the, he can be a foul merchant. And I think that's what I want more from him if he's going to get extended run because that gets you easy points. You know, the the refs are whistle happy these days. Get to the free throw line, you know, five six times, and Cam did it four times tonight. He probably can continue to do that because you know, sometimes you know he can make the wrong decision. But I still I, overall. Despite getting cooked on the defensive, and that's always going to happen for Cam, I thought both of those guys provided something for the Nets. Yeah, I thought Edmund Sumner definitely brought that burst, especially attacking the rim and getting to the free throw line, just playing with energy. I think, especially in these games where Kyrie and Katie are out, he takes it on himself to be more involved in attack and initiate the offense. I think at times he can struggle a little bit as a true point guard, but when you're just asking him to run a pick and roll and get to the rim or drop it for clacks, I think that's something he can do at a pretty successful level against you know bad teams, and that's what they face tonight. And Sumner, obviously defensively, you love his effort. Cam defensively his effort level especially in that second half was pretty poor I thought in the first half in that second quarter you know Cam was doing his thing he looked really fluid and looked like he was going to have another 20 point game I thought in the second half the Spurs did a better job of kind of forcing him to spots he didn't want to be you know they kept forcing him baseline where he looked really uncomfortable either throwing you know a bad pass or stepping out of bounds and then as you mentioned the three-point shooting is poor you know 0-4 and 1 being an air ball you just need to have that shot, especially if you're going to be a scoring guard in this NBA. So I think Cam, it's a, a mixed bag, but it's hard to give him too much of a hard time given he hasn't played 30 minutes since that Pacers game. Yeah, it's like he's a two-level scorer on on certain yeah. nights. You know, he he can't put put it fully together, despite the fact that he does have you know three-level scoring abilities in his bag. But look, nice to see a little bit of run for him tonight. Hopefully, the three ball does come around. But you know, he was emblematic of how poor the team was from three overall. Yeah, I guess final guy to touch on Utah Watanabe. Scored zero points, 0 of two from the field, did have one rebound, and that's his only stat. 
as we kind of mentioned on previous shows, I think he's going to struggle without the stars. He's just kind of that role player, that fifth fifth guy in the lineup that can hit open threes. And when you're asking him to do anything more, he looks a little bit uncomfortable. You know, some of those weird in-between shots never really feel like they're going down for Utah to either get to the rim, shoot a three, or the kick out. And defensively, you're starting to see some of his lack of strength stick out a little more. Yeah, and and that's just the the Utah Watsonabe experience. It looks better with better players, doesn't look as good without better players, and that includes spacing as well. Uh, I just think that, you know, you can put him out there uh, next to TJ, maybe next to Cam, probably next to Ben. And I think that the, we we can see glimpses of him, you know, where he's right now his weapon as an offensive player is his three point shot. So that's where you need to find a way to to utilize him. But not a good game from Utah Watsonabe today, but. I guess to finish the pod, Nick, uh, unless you had any final, you know, just general game thoughts. Um, no, I mean, the final thought was the Nets played terribly. Uh, <laughs> they didn't come with great energy, and I thought the game plan was poor. It was just bad across the board and really disappointing to have back-to-back games like this. Big time. Predict the next the Nets record over these four games, Nick, at Phoenix, at Utah, at Golden State, at Philadelphia. That's tough. Am I getting Kyrie Irving for all four games? Uh, let's say yes, because I, I was surprised to see that he he didn't play tonight. Yeah, I think the Nets find probably a way to go two and two because of Kyrie. I think that he probably gets his things going. A Phoenix has been really poor lately. Obviously, they have guys banged up, and you know maybe they pull one out in Utah, who has been playing well, but they've kind of fallen off a little bit in this new year. So two and two being optimistic, but one and three looks like a real possibility, and I'm sure that's what you're leading with. One and three, maybe even zero and four, Nick. Just because the 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 way that this Nets team is in terms of just like the expectations and and what we've been conditioned to is the Nets can be otherworldly incredible or otherworldly dog shit. And yeah. the way that they've been playing the last three games is otherworldly dog shit. And that's why not getting a win against OKC or who have been playing very well, you know, and and that, and that's a credit to them, but not winning this game. It's really going to stick out. And look, the the standings are what they are. The Nets are still around the mark, and Kevin Durant isn't going to be out long term. But it's about you know how they're doing things, and you know a lot of the guys are like, well, what are you doing in general? And it it sort of reminded me seeing tonight's game was just like comparing it to the Indiana Pacers game, and we got to see like video behind the scenes of that. We got to hear like a clear and coherent game plan, where it seemed to me that there was a lot of just like, oh, let's just go out and see what we can do. Yeah. With this sort of thing, we've still got some players. Whereas it's it, that game against the Pacers, we heard things from Jacques Vaughn. We heard about you know what the Nets were trying to do, and the the Pacers are a, a much better team this, than the San Antonio Spurs. So I think the Nets need to get the process right, and they need to get the process right quickly because the Suns, Jazz, Warriors, and Sixers, you know, the, the, all those games, I would say that they are near favorites in for maybe one or two of them. But for the most part, especially now that, you know, the Sixers are, are rolling a little bit, the Warriors are starting to get things going. And the Jazz and, and the Suns is maybe the only win that I would be somewhat confident in. But that one's on the road as well. And, and the Suns are probably going to want to bounce back. So I have no idea, Nick. I, I just hope the Nets get back to winning and get back to winning soon. You think this poor stretch is making them more likely to make a trade over the course of the next couple of weeks before the deadline? Well, I mean, it's sort of the question that we asked on on the Celtics recap. You know, does this increase the urgency? And does that not mean that, you know, Sean Marks has to throw in extra sort of stuff? 
I don't really care, and I don't think that the answer to the question matters other than the fact that the Nets just need to make an upgrade. And yeah. the the waiting, the waiting, the waiting. Look, does it happen over this four-game stretch? I probably don't think so. I think it's going to be, you know, Jay Crowder gets traded, and then everyone else does their trades, and the Nets are sort of in the, the middle of the morass of the, the general trade kerfuffle that happens before the deadline. I think that there are probably a couple of things here and there that, are, that might be on the table. Um, I think that proactivity, as we alluded to with the, the team overall, is, is going to be better. But I can't see it happening. I'm not sure what you think. It's going on these next couple games. And then, you know, you have to react to that. I think what can stick out over the course of the next four games is like how poorly the Nets will be if KD were to miss a game or, you know, get in foul trouble in a playoff game. And how do you react? Can the guys win the minutes? And I think that's where you have to really be concerned. You're starting to, you know, break it down even further and further down and how you want to be successful and how every minute matters when you get to the postseason and how confident can you feel with the way that some of these guys are playing, you know, and they've played poorly a majority of the season, you know, some of these role players and they have not been consistent enough. And obviously their role players are not going to be super consistent, but it seems like you still need to improve the middle of your rotation. You want to have guys that you can give you something. Even if their shot's not falling, you can count on them for something. And the Nets don't really have those guys. You know, you have KD, you have Kyrie, you have Nick Claxton. And after that, I think it's just, it becomes a slippery slope of who really can you count on consistently in the postseason. You know, there's guys that are probably in that four through six range that you'd rather have in the seven to nine range. And that's where the Nets need to make that upgrade. And I think it's becoming more and more apparent that those upgrades need to happen. And guys, maybe you thought you could count on can't be that high in your rotation. Simple as that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.